a major part of Handel's professional life in the opera house was dealing with the singers. Now, of course, it was essential for the opera company to have extremely good singers in the same way as a modern football team has to buy in the best players. In fact, in terms of salaries in the 18th century, they talked about them in the same way as we would talk about the top football players now. So you bought in really expensive singers from Italy, some from Germany, but they were people who had been trained up specially for this. They were virtuoso singers and also in the terms of the type of drama they could do the acting that went with the singing and so there are many stories of the types of conflicts that went on within the opera company Uh, there is a story about Handel accompanying one singer and the singer said if you play the harpsichord like that I shall come and dance on the harpsichord And Handel said, well, let's advertise it. More people will come to watch you do that than to hear you sing. One of the things that was quite clear from all of the stories is that whereas if a singer had a real problem and came to Handel and said, I can't do this, let's put it in a different key or something like that, um, Handel was cooperative. Once he'd made up his mind how the music should go, he was very insistent that the singer should do as they were told. Now, this led to various power struggles uh, because, of course, the singers had public followings and could appeal to this uh, matter in the London audience. Uh, And there were several tales of rows going on in the opera house. And so this gives a particular atmosphere to the way that the opera company works. One of the conventions of the type of Italian opera that Handel worked in, was that the most powerful top-ranked characters were the high voices. The leading men, the really most powerful men, the ones you had to deal with, were castrato singers, the artificially preserved high voice. And, of course, these were very powerful voices and also very powerful personalities to deal with. But to match them, you also had to have extremely good women soloists. And in fact, this is a very unusual situation because this is one of the few careers that women made it right to the top in the 18th century. We don't know that much about their training or the way they came up to it, but by the time they arrived in London, they were in the top league with the leading men. You had to have a good even cast of leading men and leading ladies. Of course, there is a problem there, because within the company there was always someone who thought they were the prima donna, our idea of the diva, and normally it was quite clear who the leading man or the leading woman was going to be. And in fact, they talked about the company in terms of the first man and the second man, and the first woman, and the second woman. And of course this was both in the nature of the voices and in the roles they had in the opera. And of course there would be trouble if there were two women who both thought that they were in the leading roles. And this in fact broke up one of Handel's opera companies, because in the mid-1720s Handel had got one singer in his company already, Francesca Cuzzoni who was very greatly liked by the London audiences. 
she was matched with the castrato singer Senesino, and these two were really the leading characters in the opera company over several years. But things became complicated when a second soprano, Faustina, was also hired for the London company. That meant there were two leading ladies. But the real trouble came when, in the London audience, factions formed to support one leading lady or the other and to pit one against the other, even during performances. In fact, it got so bad that at one stage, the behaviour of the audience, and possibly on the stage, was such that the performance had to be called off, and actually the rest of the season was cancelled after that. Something very much like a riot in the theatre. And the really serious problem that went with that is that a member of the royal family was present, and you didn't behave like that in the theatre. So it actually closed the opera company down for that season when that happened in the theatre. He gets into conflicts of different types, particularly later on, In the 1730s, there's a rival opera company formed, partly because the singers go off and don't want to be dominated by Handel, and so there's a separate second opera company. So there's a lot of rivalry in London because really there isn't a large enough audience to support both companies. They're fighting for the audience, and every trick in the book is used to denigrate the other company And this goes with the split in the royal family. The Prince of Wales supports one and the King and Queen go to the other. And it's a very difficult situation. And in fact, this does take its toll on Handel's health. At the end of this period, you find that just when the tension is breaking up the companies such that neither of them can actually go on because they don't have large enough audiences, he works really, really very hard in one particular season writes and produces more operas than at any other time during his career. But it ends up with him having something which was called at the time a paralytic disorder. It's some sort of stroke. People have argued ever since about what the exact nature of the ailment was, but it stopped him playing the harpsichord in the theatre. The show still went on, led by someone else. But it did actually set up something where in later years people were always a little bit anxious about his health. So, in fact, as well as writing the music and producing the shows on the stage, Handel was dealing with what we might call theatre politics all the time. From the Open University. For more information, go to www.open.ac.uk forward slash use.